Chicago Blue here once again with Michael Darling, as always. And now we're pleased to announce our first member of the Five Timers Club, Kev Kozer. Really happy to be here. Does this mean we get like a portrait in whatever the next recording space is when this is all over? <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna print out like on the old style printer on like 10 sheets of eight by 12 and just tape them together of you. Um, so we'll have like a mural of you. Um, That's fantastic. Like, a, we'll make it an inspiring pose. It'll be looking off into the middle distance. Um, you know, as always, Kev, you can give us the super abridged rundown of who you are and your history with Pokemon to start us off. Sure. Um, yeah, I I guess I'm here right because I'm your guy's friend. I don't do much else. I mean, I, I work in HR. It's not a very exciting job. Um, uh, but yeah, it's uh, I, my experience with Pokemon is I played every generation off and on. I am finally started Pokemon Sword, and I'm joined the Grookey Gang. Grookey Gang? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing it, I'm playing it very loose this time. I am, uh, I'm not even looking up where Pokemon are. I just know I need, I have my Grookey starter. I want a Farfetch'd at some point and make that into a Surfetch'd. And everything else, I'm just gonna see what Pokemon sorry, I'm uh, with. Sorry, what Pokemon? Surfetch'd. Uh, I believe you mean Sir Duck with Stick. Yeah, that's... that's... Oh, I'm so sorry. And I call myself a fan who's been on here five times. Forget the basic of running gags. Um, but yes. It's been it's been a little bit. Um, <laughs> yes. And I'm just seeing which Pokemon I vibe with and based my final party based off that. Having a little fun. Nice. Also, yeah. super excited for new Pokemon Snap. Um, uh, yeah, I, whenever you bring me back on next, I will just probably, even if it's been a year since New Pokemon Snap comes, I'll probably go for hours on that because Pokemon Snap was my favorite game as a kid. God, I, yeah, yeah I mean, I still, so excited. I still stand by my thanks for AOC being the one to really bring that back to the forefront with her mm -hmm. streaming and mentioning it as one of her favorite games from the N64. I think it was over a year ago now. Um, but that's really where we saw the, you know, temperature rise on the groundswell of people calling for more Pokemon Snap. Mm. Um, so AOC really continues to be the people's candidate. <laughs> A thing I love that they just announced about new Pokemon Snap is that there are going to be, like, different times that you can visit the various areas. Mm -hmm. So it's not just going to be the same um, amusement park ride style level uh, every time you visit it, which I'm very excited about. There's so much stuff in that game. I'm going to be so happy. <laughs> I just really, I really wish that they would somehow find a Pokemon that they could use as like a reference to Mac doing his Nightman thing with the weird eyes. <laughs> and just like have it be that one of the rides when you get on at night, you see a Pokemon doing the Nightman thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I mean, probably a Lipard could do that. It's got cat eyes. Or Poochina, which we'll yeah. discuss today. Um, but but let that segue us into uh, the first game that we always like to start off with, Kev. You've done it before. Uh, are you ready to play another game of Mon Mom? Yes. All right. For, uh, for the uninitiated, Mon Mom is the game that we play to start off every episode. Uh, my mother has been sent a picture of one of the Pokemon that we'll be discussing today. Uh, we've got the Pochiana line, the Zigzagoon line, the Wormbull line, which is a fun split evolution path. Um, she's been sent a picture of one of these Pokemon that we're going to discuss today. She's going to describe it and give it a name. 
and it'll be up to our guest and Michael Darling to decide and determine who, which one she's talking about. Now, All here's right, the amazing so. thing, Kev. Uh, mm-hmm. At time of recording, we haven't released the first episode of the season, but I did not get it right last week, and neither did our guest. So, the score is 0-0. Zero, zero. So, are you ready to try to take a win for the first time for team guest? I really hope so. Might be the first time All team right. guest takes a lead in the entire series, so. Yeah, you know, no pressure <laughs> or anything like that. But here we go. This Pokemon looks like a fisheye butterfly. I will name it Juno. Okay, so it's an eyeball butterfly named Juno. <laughs> okay. Michael, as always, we ask you to go first. Uh, today's hymn in the Garden of Eden by Eyeball Butterfly. <laughs> um, yeah, let me just think about that for a moment. I feel like the obvious choice has to be Beautifly. Uh, yeah, I think I might just stick with that, because I don't think any of them else look like a butterfly. Like, the Silcoon and Cascoon look like eyeballs, that's for sure, but Beautifly is the one that looks most like an eyeball butterfly. All right, Kev, are you going to play defensively, or are you going to uh, strike out more aggressively? So it's obviously there's two options here, Beautifly and then a less chance of it being Dustnox. Now, I could just say Beautifly and keep the score normal, because that's <laughs> my go what it is, but on the off chance it's Dustnox, I mean, then I just... I'm explaining this logic, so I hopefully don't look too stupid picking it, but then also, <laughs> if I'm right, it would be great and... <laughs> <laughs> like you said, it would give the guests the first time in the lead. So I can't pass that up, I don't think. I think I'm going to go with Dust Docks and try to roll the dice. Dust Docks, but with the knowledge that it might be Beautifly is what you're saying. Yeah, I, but I'm, I'm, my pick is Dust Docks. It has the eyes on the wings. I think it's still a potential. Okay. All right. Well, we have the split between Dust Docks and Beautifly, and I've got to say... It's amazing for me, now that we've been doing this podcast for over a year, to see history being made. (gasps) Kevin Kozer, you have given the guest seat the lead for the first time since we've been doing this podcast after now two scoreboard resets. This is the first time guests have been in any kind of a lead. It was Dust Docks. Wow. Wow. So glad I rolled the dice. Because like I said, the eyes on the wings. Yeah. It could have. I mean, if you actually ended up following Michael, the scoreboard would have still left that opportunity for the next guest. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I did send my mom. I was thinking that, you know, Beautifly is a little bit too obvious because it just looks like a cartoon butterfly. Um, so I went with something a little bit different, but, you know, playing against the whole which one of the bugs would it be. We'll discuss the bugs in a bit. There's a lot to say about them. Well, I guess a lot that we can discuss about them. Uh, but we're going to start off with the doggos for this generation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so before we get into the doggies here, I just want to address that we are in this generation's round of high school boyfriends, as I like to call them. Uh, they are the ones who teach you some basic things, but you're not going to keep them around for that long. And you know, you'll look back on them fondly, but there are better mons will come along later. Uh, so we've got our standard vermin and bugs with some birds coming up in the next episode. But the bugs are going to be weird, which I like a lot. And there's a dark type in the mix, which this is the first time we've gotten a dark type so early on. And it will become kind of a pattern that in future generations we will see dark type Pokemon available on Route 1 or the Route 1 equivalent. 
So yeah, uh, Puchaina, Puchaina and Maithaina, they are pure dark types. Uh, our first ones since Umbreon in Gen 2. Uh, yeah, so these are good evil hyena doggies. Like, Puchaina is really cute and really fierce, but also it tries to bite everything and eat everything. So, got some problems. A little bit more like a Tasmanian devil than a hyena, I suppose. Yeah. Because Tasmanian devils definitely have that reputation of eating anything and everything until they're so stuffed that their little legs just splay out and they can't move. Um, yeah. But, you know, one thing... So, one thing I will say, Michael, a little tidbit in the uh, in the trivia when we were looking up this Pokemon is that uh, Poochina and Mightyena apparently have, like, the highest base stat total of any dark Pokemon. Um, and, you know, one thing I did note is the fact that, you know, since it is the only other pure dark type that we have in the decks thus far, except for Umbreon... It's not a bad choice. Like, I wouldn't call it, like, you know, if this were your high school boyfriend that you end up marrying and, you know, starting a family with, then, you know, that's, uh, that's an understandable high school sweetheart to take home. Um, <laughs> I will point out this is for... literally the bad boy. Yeah. And, I mean, I think, uh, you know, I guess that's segue into the design. I mean, goddamn, like, what a cute dog. Mm -hmm. um, Puchina just hits all the notes, and I think that this is a really good example of, you know, that keep it simple. Uh, approach to design. Like, there are no major flourishes on either of these Pokemon. There are no weird accents. They really look like just, they could be actual dogs in our world. Yeah. Um, but all the same, they have just the right amount of, like, you know, fanciful touches to the way their color and coat is distributed. The kind of, like, color flip in terms of, you know, the black being more dominant on Mighty Ina versus Poochina is a really cool touch. So I just think this is an all-around, like, good solid design it gets an a plus for what it's trying to be agreed agreed yeah i like i said it's like a mix of a couple different animals and i think they mix together well it's like it's very much dog like in the face you've but you've got like sort of a wolf like body i mean there's a hyena in the name doesn't get much play but i guess it also sort of factors into the face a bit the little sort of snarling aspect of it the ears so yeah it's it's like yeah it Blends a couple of animals really well together. It's a solid design. I guess I put in the notes. I have no thoughts on this, <laughs> but because I, yeah. yeah. I mostly just agree with what you guys said. Yeah, it's it's just it's basic, but it's good. It's one of the few Pokemon I think that if you translate it into the real world would not be terrifying. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like I mean, it would be fierce because it's a fierce looking dog, but you know, it would look like it makes sense. Although, yeah, we should probably see how tall Mighty Unit is, and then we'll find out that it's, like, seven feet tall and weighs 500 pounds. I mean, Mighty Ina, I will say that, yeah, Kev kind of touched on this, but I do want to address the fact that neither of these Pokemon really invoke the real-world animal that it's taking its namesake from. Like, the hyenas, as a, as a point, like, have a very distinct uh, limb length distribution mm -hmm. and proportion that... You know, for whatever reason, the Pokemon people decided not to embody in this Pokemon, even though they took the namesake. So, I mean, ultimately, it just ends up looking a lot more wolf or coyote-like, um, which I'm which I'm totally okay with. You know, I said in the notes, and I'm going to say this on air: uh, dogs do not get nearly the kind of representation that I feel like they should in this universe. I mean, we have how many bug types, how many fish types, and <laughs> we get one pair of doggos per generation. Um, got Growlithe and Arcanine, we got uh, Houndour and Houndoom, and I mean, even the cats, we see more variants and more, you know, 
additional foxes and things like that, but we don't get a lot of dogs for hmm. some reason. Yeah. I mean, as you note in the notes, we're coming up on our third caterpillar, which is as many dogs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. how many flying insect moth butterflies are there now? Like, I mean, you know, to be just... fair, one of the types is literally bug type. Like, it would be... True. If there was the dog type, then I'd be like, yeah, there needs to be more dogs if there's going to be dog type. We have had... Yeah. <laughs> we've had just as many Pokemon so far that are dogs as we have literal dragon-type Pokemon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's a very weird kind of... I mean, so when we talk about the ecosystem, especially with regards to Mon's world, like, it's just a very, very weirdly balanced ecosystem mm-hmm. in terms of, you know... How many breeds of dogs do people own in the real world? <laughs> like, you know, we only have three breeds in this world um, that we know of thus far. Um, mm. But I don't know how much that increases over the ne- over the coming generations either. Yeah. They will introduce like one per gen, but like, yeah, it's a very steady drip. Yeah, I think it's interesting that starting here, especially, they tend to put like a dog or a cat early on in the game. Probably because that is like, you recognize dogs and cats. You get this concept. So here is what looks kind of like a familiar pet that will evolve into something more foreign. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it is interesting that we keep referring to the dog, even though the name probably comes from hyena. And I wonder yeah. if that's just because there's just like not a lot of pop culture rep for hyenas. They are a more exotic animal. All I can think of is like Lion King and Harley Quinn. Yeah. yeah, and so that's where I was kind of going to go with it is that, you know, we have Harley Quinn and, you know, Harley Quinn has, like, very realistic hyenas, mm-hmm. like, in that movie. And I'm thinking that, you know, people are familiar with hyenas, like, just as a, you know, sort of growing up as a kid and reading about animals that live on the African plains and stuff like that. Like, we're aware that they have that, like, limb proportion and that distinct look. Um, they're not totally foreign cryptids as far as pop culture is concerned and yet they didn't like even though they took the name they didn't take any distinguishing features of hyenas for these pokemon except for the name yeah i'd say like my hyena has the attitude but Mm -hmm. yeah like in terms of visual there's not anything that screams hyena to me yeah and a lot of the oh sorry oh i was just gonna say like looking at how weird hyenas look is like i'm i'm not sure are they dog cat or something else are they canine? Good question. I was yeah. just gonna say. I mean, they definitely strike me as canine. I was gonna say that uh, the like the Pokedex and Germania also feel more wolf-like than hyena-like. Like training oh, in yeah. packs and can be tamed by people. Like hyenas can't be tamed. I don't think they're very <laughs> wild animals. No, and I mean that does bring up a conversation that just kind of occurred to me. I put it in the notes for later, but you know, discussing, huh. you know. When we talk about Mon's world, I guess I kind of want to get a sense of what kind of a default position we all are coming from in terms of when we bring the Pokemon into our world, are we bringing them in with the rules and kind of like knowledge of how domestication works within our world's context? Or are we also bringing Pokemon rules of of like, you know, these being semi-intelligent, if not highly intelligent animals capable of some form of communication, um, you know, all that sort of thing. Hmm. Doing a quick research on hyenas on Wikipedia, they are, I don't see uh, a very close um, genealogical relation to canines and wolves, so they are kind of their own thing. I mean, wolves 
dogs are obviously descended from wolves. Yes. Yeah. Uh, National Geographic have... says that they're more closely related to cats. Yeah, I'm on Wikipedia as well, and I just sort of zipped up the scientific levels and got to eventually <laughs> Feliformia, which is like cats, but also hyenas, mongooses, uh, yeah, a lot of disparate things. So it's more cat than dog, but it's not anything close to what we would think of as like a cat-like animal. Yeah. Huh. So that does right. So that actually reminds me of another random thought that I shared on Twitter recently. Um, is the plural of mongoose mongoose or mongooses? Because mongoose sounds weird to me. Huh. Um, I was thinking about the computer mouse and the fact that for whatever reason, whenever I think of plural computer mouses, I say mouses, mm -hmm. but mice refers to the creature. Like it feels weird to refer to computer mice to me. Well, because you never really have more than one computer mouse in front of you unless you're, you know, bulk shopping. I'm an, well, I'm an office manager and I need to get uh, five computer mice. This <laughs> <laughs> sounds weird to me. Yes, what's the difference in, say, you want some computer mices? <laughs> Even better. But yeah, I, I was thinking about this recently too, and I can't remember the specific example why. So here's the example I came up with in my head just now. But if, like, say you're looking for something with a proper noun and it, like, a movie titled Attack of the Octopus. You wouldn't say multiple copies of this movie are Attack of the Octopi. You'd say, oh, multiple <laughs> DVD, Attack of the Octopuses. Multiple, hmm. that franchise. Like, yeah, That's the true. breakdown of plurals, like, it becomes different in different situations. It doesn't make sense mm. one way or the other. Yeah, same thing Same thing with Star Wars. When you refer, when, when you refer to Star Wars, you're referring to the collection of films. Mm. Each one is a Star War. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Star Wars is, well, I guess, well, then in some, actually, I think that's an internal plural, so it should be Star's War. <laughs> Even better. Like, oh, when so uh, when one of Spider-Man's great enemies uh, meets his multiversal counterparts, then you don't have Dr. Octopi, you have Doctor's Octopus. And they're Spider-Mans, not Spider-Men. <laughs> Except for Spider's Man, which is a whole bunch of spiders who think they're Peter Parker, and that's canonical actual comic book canon and i love it um all right back to the the <laughs> hyena pokemon <laughs> i love that spiral that we went on the there. alleged hyena pokemon um you know i'm with kev like i think that you know nitpicking on the name i mean i gave the pokemon an a plus so i do want to circle back and say that you know part and you know part of the reason why i'm asking for more dog pokemon is not just because i have a dog that i love but also because they're, they do so well. Every single dog Pokemon that we've seen has been an A+. You know, going back to Growlithe Arcanine, Houndour Houndoom. Like, we made fun of Arcanine for, like, the weird dex factors. <laughs> but we love those Pokemon, and we love this guy, really. Um, so, you know, but I also wonder if that isn't a problem of scarcity. Um, would I love if they were to throw, like, say, an ice dog at me? Like, would I necessarily love it as much as I love this? But then again, you know, Eevee is arguably dog-adjacent. Vulpix, fox dog-adjacent. You know, you kind of get into these, like, things where you might where you might argue that I have more dogs than I'm giving credit for. But, um, but you know, I love all those, too. So, I don't know. It's just surprising that they don't go back mm -hmm. to this particular region of Mammalia as often, um, but here we are. Um, mm. I love this Pokemon, but I don't have any additional thoughts on it. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm with you there. They're solid designs, but there's not really anything, you know, 
thrilling to say about them. We do have a few more dogs coming up this generation, I think, which will be interesting to talk about. I do think one thing to note is that uh, so far, with the exception of... Eh, well, no, even with Houndour, like, it's kind of always dog but. Like, it's dog but also with elements of a tiger in the case of Growlithe. It's dog but specifically a hellhound in the case of Houndour's line. And then here we have dog, but also hyena? Question mark. Yeah. I mean, and then also we waited a whole generation for this new Pokemon type to get its second Pokemon of just this type. Mm. Like, we had a whole generation where there was just one Pokemon added to the decks that was just a pure dark Pokemon. And now finally we have the second one. Yeah. Um, in the upper half of the 200s. So mm. over two hundred poke over two hundred and fifty Pokemon covered, and this is only our second pure dark type. Yeah. Um, I think only our fourth dark type overall of any sort. Uh, fifth. Fourth line. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I think I've mentioned before, like dark and steel, they added in gold and silver, but they didn't really know how to add them properly. I feel because mm-hmm. they only added mm-hmm. like five of each. So we're gonna start expanding on them, becoming more common types soon enough. Yeah. I definitely feel like and that was sort of the narrative through a lot of your gen 2 episodes was um dark and steel we don't uh aren't really populated in johto at all i think it's just because mm. game balance was just not a thing people thought of as much in the year the 90s and early 2000s like i think smash bros is another example where like the first two smash bros games are like very unbalanced and there's only a few mm-hmm. characters that are really any good and oh, yeah. yeah it's at least for competitive play so yeah, it's it's only I think Ruby and Sapphire marks sort of turning point with the introduction of abilities. I think may play into this as well, where they're actually thinking about Pokemon meta game, and okay, we want the types to seem more balanced, and we really want to like actually think about how things, like I said, balance each other out. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if it might not have been a case of they already had fifty Pokemon ready to go before they even really officially got underway with the work for uh, for gold and silver. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of had to work these... But then, you know, along the way, they realized that they needed to add these types to bring balance to the metagame. And, you know, they kind of had to fill in dark types. Because we talked about how Tyranitar did not feel like a very cohesive line. Um, you know, we talked about how there were other types that did not feel like totally cohesive lines in the last gen especially. Um, like there were separate ideas that may have gotten put together as an evolutionary track. Um, so I wonder if that might not be showing the fact that, you know, after they'd already done a certain amount of pre-planning work to design new Pokemon, they'd had to make the second fit, like the next 50 or so for mm. the second gen with this concept in mind that, oh, we need some of them to be dark types, some of them to be steel types. Yeah. yeah. And um, I mean, I know there's so much cut content from gold and silver or from red and blue that made up, wound up in gold and silver including whole mm-hmm. Pokemon that showed up in the anime first. So yeah, I mean, that's not a bad theory. It's There probably was, like, Golden Silver almost feels like the uh, complete edition of Red and Blue more than its sort of own <laughs> thing. But Generation 3 is, yeah. like, the first sort of holistic look. Is like, we've got everything we initially planned out. Now let's think about retool the franchise and sort of expand on it in meaningful ways. Yeah, because, I mean, let's also think about the fact that Golden Silver... Really, this was pushing the Game Boy 
which Michael Darling, mm-hmm. you shared a very delightful article on like the weird competitors that tried to dethrone the Game Boy from handheld dominance throughout its history. Oh yeah, and I mean, it really Pokemon Gold and Sil- uh, Gold and Silver really um, pushed the Game Boy to its mm-hmm. limit. Oh yeah, um, in terms of what the hardware and what was capable of being put onto those cartridges. To the point where you know gold and silver cartridges just don't work anymore because they required an internal battery to be able to run the night and day system. Yeah, like it's a very uh, complicated game for the system it's running on, especially considering it's running on by that point twelve or so year old hardware. Yeah. I mean, that's always been the one good thing about Nintendo as a console maker, is that your investment in their consoles, except for the Wii yeah, U, comes with, a certain assurance, comes with a certain assurance that you're going to be able to rely on that console for at least eight years. I think I just heard the Virtual uh, Boy crying in the corner. Yep. Oh, that too. I mean, we don't even remember the Virtual Boy. The Virtual Boy, <laughs> the virtual boy barely existed long enough to yeah. even register as a real console. <laughs> yes, um, most of its launch system, uh, launch day titles were also its final day titles. Um, before we move on, uh, I want to point out that we do have eight more dark types in this generation. So yeah, like they are mm-hmm. going to start getting more... Um, they're going to proliferate. Whoa. Proliferate. Wow, that was a tongue twister for no reason. Yeah, so we've got that to look forward to, thankfully. Uh, on the shiny yeah. front here, I love these shinies. I love that it's just like, let's turn the gray gold, and it works so well. Like, they're not golden doodles, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I this is a shiny that once again reflects my... that I think that this is a Pokemon that whose design that they kept simple, they really loved it, and they gave it a great shiny. It is not just a shift to purple yet again, mm-hmm. which... You know, and I wonder, I wonder and I hope that this is a sign that in this generation the Shinies are given a little bit more thought, um, and we hopefully don't see too many of those. All right, slide the color scale to purple mm. Shinies, um, or Disney villain Shinies. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, overall, um, I just think it looks great in gold, um, which is not an unusual color as far as, like, nature, you know, um, phenotyping is concerned. It's just a really cool variation on, you know, the standard coloration. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a fan. Um, yeah. Kev, anything you want to add? Uh, no, let's go on to Zigzagoon. Okay. All right. Ziggy, Ziggy, Ziggy. Uh, Zigzagoon and Linoon, they are normal type, but in Gen 8, they have a Galarian variant, which are dark and normal. So, yeah, here we go. More dark types, but, you know, not for another... These games came out what, like two thousand one? Not for another three. eight. Okay, not for another sixteen years then. I'm sorry, three in America, two in Japan. Okay, yeah. so all right, so it I'll takes sixteen years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry, it takes seventeen years uh, for them to add this dark and normal variant. But yeah, let's start with the vanilla Zigzagoon first. Yeah, it's pretty much. I mean. When you see a normal type like this, it's pretty much the Rattata oh, yeah. of this mm-hmm. generation. That's I don't even think that's a tough parallel to draw. Um, but, darling, I will let you read your uh, second note under the Zigzagoon notes for yourself. <laughs> okay. Uh, quote, such a sweet little dumb raccoon. Mm. I completely agree. We are in complete concordance. We have achieved Mon Men synergy, <laughs> harmony... It's perfect. Um, I agree yeah. with you. 
Um, and it just looks so happy. It absolutely, like if I saw this thing digging through my trash and throwing over my trash bins, there would be a moment where I'd be like, aw, before I like chased it off with a, with a broom. <laughs> yeah, it really yeah. is a perfect design. And I mean, like no one, like unless you're like young or you have a really strong monster Pokemon, Linoon and Zigzagoon aren't gonna be in your final Elite Four team. I just have the high school boyfriend sort of effect coming into head. <laughs> but yeah, they're, they're, it's such a, like, I'm glad even these little Pokemon that you're not meant to stick with are getting this much like care and attention. Like it's not just the tossed off design. It's a very strong one. Yeah. And it's another simple design. Again, it's a two color palette basically. And they're doing so much with just such little things that aren't like extravagant, but it is a very cool, very distinct mm -hmm. Pokemon. And at least I will say that for Zigzagoon, Lanoon has another thing, but we'll talk about that in a moment. Um, the first thing I want to say is I know that the eye, I mentioned this in the notes, that the eye coloration definitely evokes the uh, the sort of bandit coloration thing that we associate with raccoons. Mm -hmm. But uh, the body type, you know, my first reaction looking at like the overall shape and size of the Pokemon is to think badger. But I know that we have more badger-like Pokemon down the line eventually. So what I instead thought of was the actual Wolverine, which is a creature. Oh. I, I went on this kick the other day, like a few weeks ago, where I started thinking of all the Marvel characters I could that are named after animals and just realizing that I don't know what these animals actually look like. <laughs> the Wolverine, it should note, is a very like stout squat creature. Um, it doesn't look very far from a Zigzagoon, but Wolverine, the Wolverine, the character is named after Wolverine's the animal because Wolverine's the animal are just insanely aggressive and violent. Like, and for also, no reason... Uh, and also sorry, short and very furry. Yes, and for no reason other than they can, they will just go and try to pick fights with bears. And they <laughs> often win, too. That's the crazy thing. Uh Wolverine, the character, probably gets like probably also gets the name not just from being short and from also being like fierce and all that, but because like the Wolverine animal, its chief move when it's trying to fuck with bears is apparently to like wait on outcropping rocks and leap onto the bears' backs and just start tearing into the bears' backs and shoulders with their claws, which is a fighting style best best used by our beloved uh, Canadian mutant. I mean, Wolverine's um, also found near the Canadian border, so. Yeah, yep. that too. I, I have to then, I'm glad I found this again, this interview from 2017 where Hugh Jackman did not know wolverines are real animals. And so got really into the, <laughs> got really into studying wolves to play the role of wolverine. Oh, that's fine. Which, you know, I got to say, like, you can see it in his early performance of wolverine. Um but I do want to point out, so another Marvel character that this also led me down the path of, and it is, and this is actually relevant uh, to the Lanoon side of the discussion because they do look like Lanoons, uh, Sables. Mm. Because I was thinking of Silver Sable, and I realized mm. I have no idea what a Sable is. Um, it's sable like is a, basically like... Is it like a Minx? Kind of, yeah. They look basically like, yeah, they basically look like Minx, like, or, you know, very, like, much... Uh, thicker coated ferrets basically they're very cute I follow I now follow three sable accounts on Instagram hmm. um, yeah and they are very and they are Russian creatures so they're also almost all the captions on these stories are in Russian and I have no idea what they're saying but I love these little guys um, <laughs> so 
but yeah, they are apparently uh, very ferocious predators. Um, like, you know, you can domesticate them in as much as like being able to give them a home, but you know, the owners that do provide translations for their captions make it very clear that you do not house them in the same space with other animals. Um, so, because they will look at those other animals as prey or threats. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so, but it does, so the reason why I bring it up is because it does look a lot like Lanoon, um, which, you know, Lanoon, for all the praise we're heaping on Zigzagoon, Lanoon just feels very forgettable. Yeah. Um, oh, I, uh, I said in the notes, sorry, uh, go ahead. Okay, yeah, I'll just, I'm going to bounce the Galarian form for a moment just because uh, it's relevant to uh, your comment about uh, how Wolverines will just attack, attack. Uh, in Galar, so Zigzagoon is a dark type and is constantly running into Pokemon looking for a fight. So yeah, that sounds like a Wolverine. Hmm. It's like, mm -hmm. I'm going to attack this thing because I can. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I agree. Lanoon is definitely a much less interesting design. I mean, I get that sort of the point. It goes from Zigzagoon to Linoon. Oh, yeah. there it is. Yeah, and but yeah, it's not a very... I don't know. It, it does make it more boring. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it just looks like the throwaway, like, high school gangster that shows up at the beginning of the anime mm -hmm. to, like, establish who our protagonist is. Yeah. <laughs> In, yeah. like, a 12-episode anime series. Yeah. Well, a note about the names. Like, in the Pokedex, it said that Zigzagoon runs in a zigzag pattern. Uh, and then Linoon runs straight ahead, which... Here's one of my favorite funny Pokedex entries. This is one that's repeated throughout the games. Linoon can run up to 60 miles per hour, but it needs to make a full stop before it can make a turn. So if you are hoping for that uh, get out challenge kind of run, where it's like run straight ahead, immediately turn as you're about to hit the camera, Linoon can't do that. Linoon has to make a full stop before it can make a left. Yeah. I mean, which is valid. Though <laughs> I will say only 60 miles per hour. I think the kids are getting less creative this generation. <laughs> like not the speed of sound or faster than a, a thought. <laughs> or being able to run a, like for 3,600 miles yeah. without stopping. Uh, um, I feel like whoever the professor is for this region is a lot better at quality control for his interns and saying, oh, if you're going to comment on speed, here's a speed, here's like a speed reader. Go and actually test that out. <laughs> we want data, not your stupid dreams. That's the thing. Uh, Professor Oak has tenure. Professor Birch is still an adjunct. Yep. So he's getting his stuff peer-reviewed in every journal he needs to submit to. Oak just gets to write things off and get it published in Scientific American. I'm going to send um, you, for those of you not familiar, probably Baloo, I'm going to send you a photo or photos of Professor Birch. And I just need to ask, is Professor Birch a daddy? He's got a dad bod, uh, so let's, uh, let's take this moment and decide if he is a quote-unquote daddy. I'm voting yes. Um, definitely got the dad yeah. bod. Um, I would say it depends on your taste in facial hair. I could definitely know a few people who I will not shout out and publicly shame on the podcast who I think would be into guys with that kind of beard and bod. <laughs> um, the sandals are a definite choice. At least he's not wearing socks with them, so. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, well, I... That one's a more watery region, so... I don't think I would go. I also love the fact that he's wearing. Sorry, I, I, I say I don't think I would go as far as Daddy, but 
fitting that sort of stereotype, but he is, uh, I mean, not unattractive. <laughs> I mean, he definitely, he definitely looks like the kind of guy who would volunteer to go to the supermarket for you after he gets off mm -hmm. work, um, but also like the kind of guy who might just forget. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I also love the fact that all the pictures I see of him are him in the field, and he's still wearing his white lab coat, which is not a thing actual zoologists do. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's every professor. They just love, like, it must be like a credentials thing, where it's like you put on the white lab coat and people will respect you more. Well, yeah. Um, oh, what's his name? The Alola professor, uh, whose look oh, yeah. is bored. God, I mean... He Oh, Professor Kukui, who is definitely... Yes. I don't think he's a daddy, per se, because I don't think he has the daddy characteristics, but he is definitely hot. Uh, but he's wearing board shorts and lab coat, but no shirt, and you can clearly tell he is ripped. You know, I do want to point out that while we're talking about Professor Oak, since we since we brought him up, uh, there are numerous. I just did a quick Google of Professor Oak and Ash's mom. There are numerous <laughs> oh, no. scenes where we see Professor where we see Professor Oak without his lab coat. It's it's fifty fifty. There's always that infamous scene that I bring up where Ash calls his mom, <laughs> and then Professor Oak just happens to be there. <laughs> um, but it's also very good but like there are also numerous shots of them like together on vacation or having breakfast together and oak is not wearing his lab coat so birch is making a definite decision to try mm. to look like a scientist um, <laughs> it, which feels very infomercial scientisty to me like tracy morgan is introducing his new uh thing and then here comes dr spachaman with professor birch to talk about <laughs> the benefits of it um yeah yeah. yeah, I just want to just to touch on Oak one last time. I'm very supportive of Ash's mom's Oak Mr. Mime polycule. I hope they <laughs> make each other happy. Oh, of course, hundred and ten percent, hundred and ten percent. That must be like especially Oak's knowledge of Pokemon and stuff like that. That just must be some really fun kinky nights happening at the Ketchum household. Terrifying. Um, <laughs> Listen, I make a promise to you, the listener, that by the end of this podcast, we'll rank the hotness of all of the Pokemon professors. Oh, there we go. I mean, I mean, Oak is definitely going to remain top three for sure for me. Honestly. I don't know. I, don't know. I would, I of the three we have, I'd go Birch, Oak, Elm. That's the Jota one. Yeah, Elm's just a nerd. Yeah, there's not much exciting about him. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we may just we may just have to have a special like hot or not Pokemon professors episode um, because of this. I mean, Professor Sycamore in. Kalos, hot damn! Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now, now there's a daddy professor. Um, but uh, do we have any other thoughts on Linoon? I'm I'm actually changing the pronunciation of how I've been saying it now because Kev pointed out the zigzag and line thing to me. So I'm like, that's just way too obvious. I'm disappointed in myself for not noticing it before. Mm. Um, Thank you, Kev. I, I guess another name thing, and this goes back to sort of animals, is that in Japan. <laughs> I'm just looking at this right now. Apparently the words for raccoon and badger are very similar. And that sort of formed the second half of the name. So like, mm -hmm. I, I won't embarrass myself and our listeners trying to pronounce this, but if you look it up, um, like the prefix for zigzagoon and linoon are sort of versions of zigzag and line within a suffix that is sort of like, that can be part of the word for raccoon or badger. And so, yeah, I think that's interesting. A little pun there. No. Hmm. Um, yeah, 
I mentioned the Galar variant. Uh, there is an evolution that we'll get to in a couple of years that continues the kind of black and white glam rock, maybe Kiss themed. Um, oh, oh, interestingly, the Shield Pokedex suggests that the Galar variant is the original model, meaning that as this Pokemon left Galar, it became more docile and goofy. Mm. Aww. That's cute. It left it left England <laughs> and it became nicer. How how wonderful. <laughs> Not being under the monarchy helped it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it also um, it also I just want to note that uh, the pickup ability that Zigzagoon's Lightning had is sort of your first exposure to abilities. I mean that was mine mm. at least. Like you see suddenly you're Zigzagoon is holding an item, and it's oh, it's because it has the pickup ability. It picks up random items, and it doesn't. Good these point. are like very basic stuff, like orin berries and potions, and just like very low level items. But you know, so it's not like a super useful ability in the grand scheme of things. But you know, it's like it is cool to sort of introduce trainers to the ability of abilities like that. No, yeah, yeah, good point, good point. Uh, on the shiny front. Shiny Zigzagoon, regular form, has a brown-orange tint, uh, which continues through Linoon. And then the Galarian variant I just love because it's this wild red and white pattern with a blue tongue. Mm, yeah. That is... Yeah, I'm looking it up. That is something different. Uh, again, I like... So I wonder if this isn't a Pokemon that, you know, because the original doesn't have a super interesting shiny, if they kind of got surprised by the fact that people find these things so lovable and then gave them a better shiny for the Galarian variant. Um, yeah. That's what it feels like to me. I mean, I think this isn't a bad shiny, the regular Zigzagoon, because uh, it does take the brown, like the grayish brown, and turn it into an orange brown, which... I think it's nice. It works. It's cute. Um, yeah, I think the the Galarian form has a much better version. But yeah, like I don't think this is a Pokemon that is. Uh, it's not Rattata. Like this is yeah. is a lot more mm -hmm. cute and a lot more charming because it does seem very silly. And I think yeah, there's a lot more affection for it. this guy. Yeah, just by warrant of it, just allow allowing this Pokemon to be a little bit more cute and cuddly than Rattata, like, it elevates it a little bit. Um, but are we ready to go on to the bugs? Oh, yeah. I actually did one more Lightning thought, which was that it can learn four... Back when you needed to learn HMs for Pokemon, which was an awful mechanic. I'm surprised uh, lasted mm -hmm. so many gens. But yeah, Lightning makes an ideal uh, HM dumping ground because it can learn Cut, Strength, Surf, which is very good because you don't have to shackle it to a water Pokemon. And mm. then um, oh, I had it. Rock Smash. Wow. Well, uh, I'm not looking forward to probably having to learn HMs again in the Diamond and Pearl remakes. Oh, didn't... I think Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire also did away with HMs. Maybe I'm wrong about no, that. No, they, they had them because they, those were still in Gen 6. It was uh, Gen 7 when they finally dropped HMs. Well, hopefully... I mean, Let's Go around. got rid of them. So, I mean, and Let's Go is ostensibly yeah. a remake of Red oh, and Blue. Oh, yeah. So. Eh, well, we'll see. We'll see. We don't know much about the remakes yet, so we'll mm -hmm. find out. All right. So yeah. now we move on to our buggies. 
Well, now you bring up a question before we move on to the buggies. You bring on the question of what's the difference between a remake and a remaster, because this is a conversation that's been happening in video game spaces for a while, especially with regards to the Final Fantasy VII remake. Um, you know, so it's a question of if they're earnestly calling it a remake, it's on. it feels to me like it would be false advertising if it is one-to-one -one and they don't input those modern sort of, you know, quality of life upgrades. Um, I mean, my opinion, my, yeah, my opinion is, I mean, language is meaningless. I guess call it whatever you want. I mean, I guess being coming more than like the film side, the distinguish between remake, reboot, uh, legacy sequel, whatever, is just meaningless at this point. Right. Mm -hmm. I've got, I've yeah, I mean, in, forgotten to try to make sense of it. Yeah, I think yeah, my I mean, distinction. Games at least have the, no. sorry, let me just say no. one more thing. So games have at least the distinction of the additional term of remaster. Mm -hmm. Which is just, okay, we're taking everything, we're not changing any mechanics, any timing, nothing and nothing, nothing. It's just going to be able to play in 4K HD and look a little bit smoother and load, load a little bit faster. Mm -hmm. um, so you do have that distinction. If it's a remaster, then they won't be changing any of those mechanics. But if it's a remake, that does imply that they're digging a little bit deeper and refining some of the core, like going under the hood a little bit. More. Yeah, I think that's the key distinction for me. Like I think mm -hmm. remake implies that there are changes being made even, like, looking at Link's Awakening, which was imported from the Game Boy to the Switch, that got a complete remake in terms of its graphics being entirely different. The gameplay mm -hmm. was nearly identical. There were, like, a couple small changes and stuff, but for the most part, it was the exact same game, just with such different graphics, which is alone enough to make it a remake. Whereas a remaster mm -hmm. is definitely more like, we are upscaling the graphics to look good in the modern age. And, but also, this is kind of moot talk about Pokemon, because Pokemon is sort of the gold standard of remakes. Each remake is a remake. Like, they, I mean, the basic story, Jim's characters stay the same. But, like, you can find, some, in some of these cases, I think, totally new Pokemon. And maybe some of them post-game, but still in these yeah. other games. Mm -hmm. And, like, from Fire Red and Leaf Green, those first remakes on, they definitely do a, not just overhauling the graphics, but, like, including other features and keeping it in current with the current gen. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, Heart, Gold, and Soul, Silver is so different from Gold and Silver, and I never played Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire, but, I mean, as was evidenced by my HM comment there, but yeah, <laughs> it is, um, from what I understand, that's also, like, massively different. Yeah, so, like, yeah. I think improving graphics and adding new content definitely makes it a remake. Uh, I think mm -hmm. a reboot is when they launch a whole, like, yeah. launch a deactivated series in a new way. Yeah, and I mean, final, I bring up the Final Fantasy VII Remake because I'm currently replaying it right now, and I just have nothing but respect for the people who decided that, you know what, not only are we going to alter the story, because, you know, the story that we told was told within the constraints and because of the constraints of the original medium, um, if we're going to tell a story within these constraints and take advantage of the advancements in this hardware, we have to be able to change the story in some major <laughs> regards. And so to that end, they literally made fanboys that wanted everything to stay beat for beat, moment for moment, exactly the same, the actual villain of that game. <laughs> nice, nice. Like, like, spoilers for the Final Fantasy VII Remake, which is almost a year old at this point, but, um, you know, it's not, this isn't a huge spoiler, but there are these demon spirits throughout the game that are consistently intervening and trying to keep the story following its original beats moment for moment um, it's a literal embodiment of that expectation in the game um, 
So anyway, now uh, if if it's okay with you guys, uh, yeah. can we move on to the bugs? Yeah. Okay. Uh, tell us about them. All right. So here comes the Wormple family: Wormple, Silcoon, Beautifly, Cascoon, and Dustox. They're types. Uh, Wormple. Silcoon and Cascoon are all bug. Wormple can evolve into both of those. We'll get to how that happens. Beautifly, which is the evolved form of Silcoon, is bug slash flying. Dustox, which is the evolved form of Cascoon, is bug slash poison. You got all that. Yep. So we have a split. So we have a V-shaped evolutionary track, which is not unheard of. You know, we've already encountered the EV line, and you know, we've already had uh, secondary evolutions and things like that with other Pokemon. But um, you know, I feel like this is the first time it isn't as much of a uh, well. EV wasn't an afterthought either, but this is the first time we have multiple evolutionary stages after a split. Yes. Um, and. Overall, it just feels like... You remember how we were talking about, way back in Gen 1, we were talking about how Venomoth felt like it was a little bit of like a trade-off, like they kind of put Butterfree in, mm-hmm. um, and it felt like Venomoth should have belonged in another line. I feel like this time they just decided to, you know, split the difference and just make both of the Moth Butterflies just come from the same origin rather than having a Venonat equivalent that feels weirdly placed. Yeah, um... I'd say that this is Hoenn's version of Caterpie and Weedle all rolled into one, in that you encounter it early on in the game, it'll evolve into this cocoon form, and then into either a bug flying like Butterfree, or a bug poison like Beedrill. Um, yeah, and before we get into our thoughts on it, one other fact about it, it evolves really weird. At level 7, Wurmple will evolve, and it evolves into either Silcoon or Cascoon, but it's based on its personality value, which is a hidden stat that doesn't really mean much other than, I think, like, identifying the Pokémon itself. But it's a hidden stat that you can't see, you can't control it, which means that its evolution is essentially random. It was very frustrating trying to get both of them when I was trying, <laughs> when you're trying to collect them. At least for Pokémon Go, for like a day, because you only take 12 candy to evolve for and pull, but still. It is, yeah, it is interesting to make that evolution entirely random. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. RNG, man. It was... This is... I mean, we're talking about the generation where I really fell off of Pokemon for a few years, and, you know, just stuff like this piling up is what got to me. Um, you know, because I have I have two settings in my life. Either complete OCD, or I want nothing to do with it. <laughs> um, and, you know, what I will say is that, you know, what I can't focus on is the design of this guy. And... I'm a fan of the design, actually. Oh, you know, yeah. I'm a little bit dis- like you know, I give it a little bit of crap because hey, here we have the third caterpillar. Mm-hmm. I kind of wish they'd gotten it right the first time, but you know, <laughs> looking back on Caterpie and Weedle, it really strikes me how unnatural those two Pokemon look. Um, I think like they look like Playmobil toys. Mm-hmm. Wormple actually looks like a real living biological bug. Um, so it looks like they took some time to actually think about you know these aren't just like toys that we're designing these are actual living creatures that are existing out in the wild and it has a lot of little design flourishes like the legs and everything like that the spines Mm -hmm. and things that just really feel truly biological like they feel this feels like something that i honestly could hear david attenborough narrating on a planet earth segment (laughs) i want to point out this is a foot-long caterpillar those exist (laughs) 
I'm literally Googling longest caterpillar in the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, Baloo's Googling that. Kev, what do you think? Oh, yeah. I mean, I completely agree with that. I think this is the best caterpillar design so far. Um, it is, it is definitely, yeah, it's better than caterpillar and weedle. And even if the split kind of annoys me a bit, I think beautiful and dust stocks are really great, are even better interpretations of a butterfly and a moth than the Gen 1 ones. I wonder if the reason they're in the game and so early is because Ruby and Sapphire, they're missing a lot of Gen 1 Pokemon. They sort of have their own Pokedex going on. I look up how many Pokemon are in the Hoenn Pokedex after this. But yeah, I wonder if it's just like, well, we can't put, we're not going to put Caterpie and Weedle in, so let's put in our own other bug. So, they, so they're not missing the bug, and that turns into a winged bug. They're, that's such a classic design. we got to honor sort of the tradition while still having a new spin on it. Yeah, well, that's the thing with this generation is that this is where the hard break happens in terms of Pokemon backwards compatibility. Because you can trade Pokemon from Gen 1, from the red, blue, yellow games, into gold, silver, and crystal. Mm -hmm. But then there's a hard break where you can't trade anything from those two games into uh, Ruby, Sapphire, Emerald, and then Fire, Red, and Leaf Green. Mm -hmm. Um so, but now you can trade things from those games, from the Gen 3 games, all the way up to the present day games through a whole mess of complicated means, but it's doable. Uh, but the point being, I think with the limited Pokedex that they had in uh, Gen 3's first games, they definitely went with an attitude of finding, you know, kind of equivalence for the region to some of the Pokemons in Pokemon that had been established already. Like, I'm looking to see if Caterpie is in... No, Caterpie's only available via trade. So yeah, like Caterpie is not mm -hmm. in Ruby, Sapphire, and Emerald. So they definitely thought like, okay, we're making a new Pokemon game. It's kind of going to be a remix on what people are used to. We're going to have a bug. We'll have a bird. We'll have um, like a random vermin, all of that kind of thing. But it's not going to be necessarily the bug people know, the bird people know, the rat people know. Yeah, uh, and I just have one more thought on that which is uh yeah i mean Hoenn pokedex i was looking up now it goes up to 202 which is and with these new pokemon it the total number is 386 so you have a little over half of the pokemon are in uh ruby and sapphire and you gotta trade for the other half essentially with fire red and leaf green and so you can get all 386 on one cartridge and starting with this generation it's continuous you can technically have a Pokemon you caught on Pokemon Ruby uh, be trans be traded up to Diamond and Pearl, be traded up to um, Black and White, Black and eventually and white. make it into your Pokemon box on the Switch. <laughs> and so until Gen 8, you had that sort of Gen 3 through 7 line of your Pokemon can still exist. And I mean, not to get into that controversy <laughs> that is dumb, but your Pokemon still exist on that box. You just can't put them in the Sword and Shield. But you'll be able to put them into yep. the next game, don't worry. Or at least you can exist. They can exist somewhere. But, yeah, yeah more to the point, um, yeah, I mean, that's sort of the idea is half of them are in the base game for the generation and half of them are in the remake. Yeah. yeah. All right. I have so one... I'm reporting from the, uh, from the research oh, okay. department. Oh. Uh, I do want to alert listeners as a result of my uh, quick internet research uh -oh. that... We have a real-world Pokemon that I can point you to. It's called the Hickory Horned Devil. I hate this uh, already. It is a caterpillar. 
It is a caterpillar. It is completely harmless, although it does not look completely harmless. This thing looks like a real-world Pokemon. It is a six-inch long caterpillar with actual horns and spines, and it's just cool. Yeah. Um, it grows. That is weird. It evolves. It, uh, it goes into a larval, uh, into a chrysalis state, and then evolves into a uh, large regal moth, um, which is also beautiful. Um, this thing is really a real-life Pokemon. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that is. It really is something. That is so um, strange looking. Wormpole looks less. I'm yeah. oh, sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say the name Hickory Horn Devil makes it sound like it's a custom-made chili pepper. <laughs> Ooh. Wormpole looks less designed than this caterpillar. <laughs> yeah, somehow this actually makes the wor- makes me appreciate the Wormpole design even more because it does have some of like the spine flourishes and certain design touches that we see on Wormpole, but. Wormhole actually toned them down to make it look friendlier and, you know, just squishy. Uh, the Horned Devil, like, everything I've read about it in the past few minutes has said that this is not dangerous at all. And, you know, obviously the reason why every single statement about this caterpillar needs to reassure readers of that is because it does look terrifying. It's got spikes and spines all down the length of its five-inch body, and plus it's a huge goddamn bug. Um, you know, I mean, five... Five to six inches doesn't sound like a lot, but until you really picture this thing like taking up like a good portion of your forearm and covered in its spines. Um, so, you know, I just want to make sure that listeners are aware of that. But overall, uh, you know, as tired as I am of the fact that we got yet another Caterpillar Pokemon, I think they did all right with it. Yeah. I mean, I really like Beautifly and uh, and Wormpole. I'm not such a huge fan of Dustox, which I realize I don't think we've touched on Dustox well, too much no. in this conversation. So. No, we're focusing on the base form first, I think. Sure. Uh, so I have one other note about Wormpole before we move on to the cocoon form. Uh, so the spikes on its rear are used to remove bark from trees to eat sap, but also to protect it from the many different bird Pokemon that try to eat it. Hmm. So I like that those spikes have a use both for food and also for defense. I think it's a cool mm-hmm. design touch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah. I think it is really neat uh, how it mentions other Pokemon, a lot of Pokédex entries. Especially because later ones will mention Starly, Gen 4 Pokemon, as like predating yeah. on it. So it's nice little connections there. Mm. Yeah, and that is a defensive trait that we see in nature. Um amongst actual animals so that's fantastic to me Mm -hmm. i love it when they take actual zoology into pokemon like yeah these are fantastic creatures but i mean they are part of an ecosystem and nature with predators and prey and things like that so shout out to the fero that chokes on those spines (laughs) uh so before we move on i want to know how do we want to approach the rest of this line we want to approach it like by uh, evolutionary stage or in numerical order? I mean, why don't we just talk about both cocoons at the same time because they're so boring? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, then we fair. can do Beautify okay. then Dustox. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Silcoon and Cascoon are basically the same creature. Like, yeah. they have the same type, same base stats, same moveset, and same shape. Like, I love the idea of how they've done the split evolution method, but. They didn't do anything to make the middle form distinct enough. Like, it's basically, like, here is one cocoon, here is the other that is slightly angrier. Yeah, one looks sad, one looks angry, is what I was going to say. Yeah. One is one is goth, the other one is just straight up metal. <laughs> um, 
that's the difference, yeah. kids. Uh, the only reasoning I can think to do this is so you only have to power through and get them to level seven or get 12 candy in Pokemon Go. And then that way you're not, you don't have to go through the whole line to figure out whether you've got the Beautifly or the Dust Stocks. So if you're trying yeah. to go for completion sure. or trying to go for one specific one, at least you'll know three levels earlier. But yeah, yeah. As I think, I was gonna say, no, a standalone sorry, Pokemon. Yeah. yeah, a standalone Pokemon. They're both identical, and it's both. It does feel like a waste of space, as you might say. Yeah, I think. Okay, but I'm thinking about I'm thinking about the completionist mechanic in the Game Boy era that this Pokemon first came out, and when you get the, to the evolution screen, your it's and you see the text. What Wormple is evolving? You can't tell whether mm -hmm. you're getting like you can't be out of that evolution because the stat's invisible. You don't yeah. know what the stat is that is determining, mm -hmm. and you can't tell these graphics apart until the evolution is final. Yeah. Like there's no way to look at your Game Boy screen and tell whether you're getting a Cascoon or a Silcoon until the evolution is complete and it's too late to back yeah. out. And then you've got to start the whole process over again. Exactly. I mean, it's it's frustrating either way. It's just now you're waiting until. Like I said, level seven to figure out which one you've got instead of level ten. Yeah, the good news is that it's level seven, so it's not that uh, big a deal. Like if you catch one of these early, you get one form of it, and then later on in the game, when you're going for the completionist thing, you can get a worm pull up to level seven in basically one battle uh, in a mm -hmm. later level. Um, I will note that thankfully. You can find both of these cocoons in Petalbug Woods, basically oh, okay. their Viridian Forest uh, area in uh, Rokin, Ruby, and Sapphire, and the remakes. So, yeah, thankfully you can encounter both evolved forms, so you can make it easier on yourself. But, yeah, like if you're going for the full Wurmple evolution method, you don't know what you're going to wind up getting. Yeah, I mean, these are just, and I mean, as far as cocoons go, it's weird for me to say that these are somehow more boring than any of the other cocoons that we've seen before. Like, at least, uh, you know, Metapod and Kakuna have personality to them. Oh, yeah. These were kind of, we're definitely projecting personality onto the angry, sad one, sad boy cocoons here. <laughs> these are just, these are just like caterpillars and snuggies is what they are. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I've got nothing more to add. Um, cool. Yeah, I just have a note. Oh, wait. We are going on the Beautifly, right? I'll make that yeah. then. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, Beautifly. So, this is a bug flying one. Basically, they're Butterfree equivalent. And, yeah, I think this is really cute. It's very Alice in Wonderland. Mm-hmm. Like, it looks like... I like the super long proboscis as a nice oh, touch. Oh, yeah. And the um... colors. The colors are... That is such a... This is one of the first Pokemon, I think, that is really showing what they're using the Game Boy Advance technology for. Because, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. yeah, you couldn't get a Pokemon with all of those colors on the Game Boy or Game Boy Color. Never thought those about before. That's so pretty. Yeah, yeah, that's such a good point. Um, yeah, you really see... That might be a reason a lot of these Pokemon start looking more different from Gen 3 on, getting more wilder designs, getting more colorful designs. Hardware limitations. Mm -hmm. It never occurred to me before, but that's a totally legit reason. Yeah, and I mean it's an a gorgeous it's an all around gorgeous Pokemon, and while I think it loses points for being kind of like the Pokemon people saying, Oh, we can do Butterfree way better than we did before. Um, and I appreciate that again, this feels less like a Playmobil toy. Um, 
you know, they really did a good job with it, but I can't love it too much because it's an idea that we've seen now mm -hmm. three times already. Um, yeah. So, you know, but at the same time, like, they did the best they could with it, and they did a good job. See, I like this one because it does... Yes, it's another bug-flying combo. Yes, it's a second butterfly, but I like it because it is so distinct. It doesn't look like... It doesn't look like Butterfree. It is so different-looking, and mm -hmm. it feels like maybe in terms of its actual move set and stuff it's the same but it looks and feels different just because it has such weird characteristics mm -hmm. whereas butterfree mm -hmm. looked like hello i'm a cute cartoon butterfly yeah and i will say in future generations there's still a lot more three-stage bug pokemon but they keep yeah. but they innovate beyond this like Mm -hmm. They definitely find new ways to do variants on your butterflies or what have you. And that is nice. Yeah. And anyone else have anything to say about Beauty Fly? Nope. I'm ready to talk about the Transformer Pokemon. <laughs> oh, the Transformer. So, yeah, Dustox, which is the bug poison and the Beedrill equivalent, as I said earlier. Uh, so, I want to know more about your Transformer comment. I mean, it just looks like a Transformer to me, and especially the name Dustox also sounds like a Transformer name to me. <laughs> like, I like look at the picture of this Pokemon and tell me you can't picture it asking Sam Woodwicky, where is the Allspark? Oh, yeah, the eyes especially. Or, like, screeching it at him. It's a Decepticon, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I think that might be because, like, Beautifly, it's, like, very curved lines and, like, very fluid design. Dustox is not very, like, straight lines. It's very, like... Parts design, like oh, the yeah. wings are like so so flat, and it must be a sort of intentional sort of difference. Well, the eyes. Are I mean, also I wonder great, if it. Like... I wonder if that isn't also part of the justification for making it bug poison, and mm -hmm. you know, aside from the fact that they can't do three-way typing, but um, which continues to be on my wish list for future Pokemon advancements. Let's really complicate the oh, shit no. out of this by making tri-types. Um, but you know, I wonder if with those wings is it just gliding places and just like gliding mm. and then climbing back up into a tree and gliding somewhere further um because yeah those wings seem more like a kind of like tail feather thing than actual wings yeah. um, but there's also just like the menacing sort of smile between the weird like shocked commedia del arte mask mm. eyes just looks all around villainous to me yeah it looks like oh, the yeah. moth from the silence of the lambs i I like its sort of little stinker expression. It's like with a little like, like Caskin has sort of the slanted eyes, and this one has it as well, where it's like like almost like eyebrows, and like a angrier, evil looking face. I see what you're saying. It, it I don't know. Mm -hmm. I like that and the smile. I think it's a. Uh, I I like that little touch to it. I think it's a fun little Pokemon. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh... It is a bit of a nightmare because multiple Pokedex entries mentions how it drops dust from its wings that, quote, is actually a powerful poison that will even make a pro wrestler sick. <laughs> uh, and additionally, they're attracted to light like real moss, but at 3 foot 11, this thing's going to be blocking out street lamps. Mm -hmm. This is a terror. Yep. That is, uh, that's not like, that's not a bug that you deal with a broom. That's a bug you get the shotgun for. Uh, <laughs> Which, like, what are horror movies like in the Pokemon universe? Like, how does Alfred Hitchcock make a horror movie about Pidgey and Spiro when there's this? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and when we see Spiro attacking Ash in a group anyway. 
Ash, Ash really had it easy to start off with. The fact that these horrors were waiting for him after he had like three or four years under his belt. Um, I mean, I will say that I like the fact that they. This is a weird. I, this is a weird thing to describe. Like they found a way to keep this thing cute, in a completely different way than Beautiful Eye. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not like, but it's also very weird and distinct. And they did things with this Pokemon's design that felt very experimental hmm. in a kind of way. Because, like, Kev, you invoked the Silence of the Lambs poster, and, like, that's an iconic fucking poster. And, that was me, know, the other yeah. subtle thing. Oh, sorry, yeah. So the other, and I mean, the other subtle thing about that poster that I always love is the fact that, like, it's got that um, photograph hidden in the moth's design of the uh, six naked people kind of, like, fitted together. Um, but, you know, it's always subtle things like that. Like, you don't need to be in your face about it. And this Pokemon has, like, a very weird balance of cute yet menacing while no part of it is sharp, you know, on fire or anything like that. Like, it feels like a dangerous Pokemon. It feels like a villainous, menacing Pokemon. But it's all just core ele- but each element of it is very cute. Um, I think I made a similar comparison to Anne Hathaway. Uh, Uh-oh. Where Anne Hathaway is gorgeous. I love her. She's one of my favorite people. But, like, you can't identify any one piece or element of her that, like, really adds up to that. It's a complete package. Um, of her charisma and everything like that. And this Pokemon has that same thing going on where I can't point to the one thing that makes it really look menacing. It's all working together. But it all works together really well. Yeah. Okay. You managed to not get us in trouble with... recovering from that, oh no, Michael was just terrified of what I was going to say about Anne Hathaway. (sighs) Starting feuds with her again three generations later. Yeah. um, I've got nothing more to say about this line other than the shiny report so i'll wrap up with that kev anything first um just that uh i i was still watching the anime because i had a brother 10 years younger than me so that was always fun to watch with him and at this point in time uh they gave ash's misty replacement who is a may and jesse from team rocket had like a beautiful and dust doc respectively so that's how they sort of highlighted the Wormpool split evolution. I was giving them these two book one early on. That's for those Ruby Sapphire episodes. Yeah, that's all I remember it. So question, so question about May in the anime. Is it? Uh, I feel like I pick up on a little bit more aggressive relationship, like stuff between her and Ash. Was the show more overt about that, or was that just something people were looking? For? I don't think so. I think it's more of a fact that people who were 10 when they started watching Pokemon became 13 when they started watching Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire. Mm. Hmm. And then they discovered a live journal at the time, I believe it would be. What's 2003? <laughs> fan fiction. Say no more. Yeah. Say no more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. well, so, any closing thoughts on these guys? Actually, I do want to say, though, you bring the, I, there was... Was it Gen 6 or Gen 7 or even Gen 5? I, I always thought because that's when my younger brother also became too old to be watching Pokemon. But yeah, I think it was maybe Gen 6 or 7. They, I heard that they did lean into having Ash's um, new female friend for the next three years uh, lean into like having her have a thing for Ash. Which, huh. if mm. that's true, poor girl. <laughs> yeah. Just... Because like not only is Ash like just generally a dummy, but he's also going, but he's also going to be the most oblivious dummy mm-hmm. about it, which I'm sure was probably the running bit on the show. If I had to if guess, I had to like guess, if yeah. she did have it, yeah, totally. It was going to be, it was always going to be her having a crush on him and it being one way because Ash is just too dumb. Um, 
or too obsessed with Pokemon and trying to be a Pokemon master for the 20th time. Um, <laughs> He's really studying the blade. The shinies for these five monsters, because uh, I think they're really good for the most part. Wurmple turns purple, which we're kind of tired of purple shinies, but this one just works for me. Uh, Silcoon turns pink. Beautifly is brown with purple shaded wings, which I really like. Cascoon is green, and then Dustox is shiny is kind of disappointing, because this is a weird thing. Originally, its wings turned sort of an autumnal brown-orange, uh, but then over the generations, it's just kind of faded into an olive green, which is really mm. disappointing to me. And so close to what its original is that it's another... We've encountered yet another shiny that seems to be barely distinct from... If you miss the little graphic of, like, the sparkles, you might just think you were looking at a regular dust ox. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of a bummer. All right. I'm ready to move on. All right, well. All right, well, we've talked about the Pokemon as they currently exist, so let's talk about how we might improve or change these Pokemon. Welcome to Mon Mods. Pika, pika. Remix, it had to go down. I got something else to tell you about the new All right, so, Michael, uh, what would you change today first to start us off? Uh, yeah. Like I said earlier, I think the easy one here is to combine the cocoons into one monster and then have the evolutionary surprise happen. Do you have a preference of which cocoon would be the survivor Ooh. in that face-off? Angry or sad? I feel like you have to go with sad because it does look a little more neutral, whereas angry mm -hmm. looks like it's angry. Like, sad, you can at least be like, no, no, it just has a... It just has resting cocoon face. Hmm. All right, so Silcoon, goodbye, Cascoon. Yeah. Michael Darling has killed you. Um, Kev, what, what would you change today if you could change one thing about any of these Pokemon? Um, that's a good question. I kind of like them all a lot. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to step on your toes in fleshing out the Pajana line, but the, the Zigzagoon line has already been pretty fleshed out, and I, yeah, Wormhole line, I, I kind of really like as it is. Um, uh, I'll punt, I'll give you yours, Blue, and then I'll think of something. Sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, you. I'll say that, you know, my love of doggos persists. I think this was my mon mod for the Houndour line, but give me more doggo. Um, I came up with the name Bloody Ina, so let's go, you know, Mighty Ina already looks pretty ferocious, so if you're going to continue down that track and make something that somehow looks even more ferocious than a Mighty Ina down the line, it deserves the name Bloody Ina, like, maybe even give it like some splashes of red on its like mane or something like that but you know i just think that they did so well with the poochina to mightyina jump that i think that if you if you put the pokemon folks to come up with what is the third stage of this look like they would probably come up with something really cool mm. um and you know, also because Mighty Ina doesn't have the burden of Houndour, Hound Dooms, like whole bone, like extra sort of accoutrements thing, it probably wouldn't be a super overdone Pokemon. Like they would just have to add like one extra flourish to it. You know, maybe just like I said, the extra splash of color for the bloody thing. And I think it would be a really cool Pokemon. Um, and that's my change for the day. Um, yeah, yeah. I I came up with something. I think I also want to go to the Pichana line, um, but a lot of these sort of basic Pokemon, like, even if they have an extra type, you usually see a normal typing on them. And why not throw a normal typing in Puchiana? I feel like that would be yeah. fitting it. 
it's not a very big change, but it does feel more in line with especially how they tend to create these things in later generations. Yeah, I dig that. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we've talked about the Pokemon as they exist in their world. Let's bring them into our world. Welcome to Monster. A celebration of the harmony between humans and Pokemon. This is my All right, so I brought up the philosophical discussion that I wanted to have on this episode, which is, you know, what are your guys' defaults in terms of the kinds of rules of domestication? You know, we're bringing these Pokemon in, but when they come into our world, um, you know, is it kind of like they're being dumbed down in a way that makes them akin to the animals in our world, or are they coming in with their level of intelligence that we see them have in Pokemon? Like, could, like, if we brought a Meowth into our world, would it behave like other cats, or does it potentially have the ability to learn how to speak? I just enjoy that we're two years into the segment and we're only now deciding rules for it. Yeah, I mean, that's how a show evolves. <laughs> yeah, uh, for me, I've always done, like, more along the lines of if Pokemon existed in the real world as we see them in the games. So, mm. you know, we see them being able to battle, but we see them being used for purposes like the Machop that is helping... Uh, flatten the land uh, for a construction project in Vermilion City. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, so that's what it is for me. For me, it's always about, like, how are these Pokemon being used in the game world? How would that be reflected in real life? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well then in that case, you know, that obviously changes things a little bit, because, like, you know, my thoughts, because we're talking about Pokemon that are so explicitly, you know, based on uh, infamously non-domesticated species today. Species that are too dangerous to be domesticated, except unless you're Harley Quinn. <laughs> um, you know, that brought up the question with Mightyena and Poochyena, where it's like, okay, unless they are semi-intelligent, unless they're coming into our world within that context of capability, you know, they're just going to be left out in the wild. In that case, you know, if you have Pokemon as they exist in their world with that level of intelligence coming into our world, then yeah, they... I think they would probably be tasked as like guard dogs a lot, probably be used by the police a lot if I'm not being, if I'm being honest. And, uh, you know, um, you know, but I think they'd also make good pets. Um, you know, especially if you can control them and train them properly. Um, you know, one thing the Pokemon world, and this is why I didn't bring up the technology side of it, is that the Pokemon world has made it clear, and I guess this is what we're getting into with uh, Legends of Arceus, um, is that, you know, Pokeballs as a techno technological advancement aren't necessary for the human-Pokemon relationship to exist. Like, we see plenty of times that, you know, you can forge a bond with a Pokemon naturally and organically, like Ash does with Pikachu, and never have a Pokeball be involved in that transaction. Um, so, you know, to that end, um, you know, I don't see a whole lot of practical applications. Um, you know, poison Pokemon probably would be useful for, like, medicinal purposes and, like, gathering certain chemicals and things like that to be used as, like, you know, antibiotics or in developing certain vaccines and things like that. Um, but, you know, the other guys that we're dealing with today, the Zigzagoons and the uh, the Poochinas, are probably just pets, if anything. I don't know. Are there, like, raccoons that exist as pets in our world? Because I don't think Zigzagoon would take kindly doing that treatment. I'm sure someone's died. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you just reminded me, Kev, of that one video of the 
ex like the animal control person who went into this house that had like 12 uh, raccoons that had broken into the sunroom, mm -hmm. like the solarium area of the house. Oh, God. And like half of, and like they were all so fat. Oh, no. That, and they, they weren't <laughs> being fierce at all. He was just like literally using a broomstick to kind of like guide them towards the door. And two of them went and tried to hide behind like the wall panel, like between the wall. And when, like, they crowded, they were so fat that the entire section of wall just broke off and eight of them came tumbling out. <laughs> and again, not a single one of them being fierce. They just, they were, had, like, very strong, like, high school kid on, like, a Saturday morning at 7 a.m. energy where they just did not want to get up. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's fine. But yes, I can absolutely see that being like 12 zigzagoon in somebody's house, just like trundling along, refusing to move. So perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I like that. Yeah. The only mom's world I can think of is that, like, you have butterfly gardens in our world. Beautiful gardens. That'd be nice to walk through. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, It'd be very relaxing. I mentioned already that Dust Dogs would be a civic infrastructure nightmare uh, with its blocking out street lamps. Uh, Linoon. We have a very interesting real-world usage because, according to the Sword Pokedex, shaving brushes made with shed shed linoon hairs are highly prized. Hmm. Yeah. That sounds very soft and silky. I know, right? Hmm. Well, all right. We all know what time it is. Time for Baloo's favorite segment: Mon Appetit. If you'd like my personal crack medicine. stereo all right well darling you've got a lesson plan for us so i'll let you take it away man uh, so my favorite thing about this segment is that i'm learning how people eat various animals and what they taste like uh so i found a serious eat article about cooking raccoon uh which apparently says that it tastes like dark meat or well, dark meat of chicken or turkey but a little more greasier and tender uh they quote a man by the name of gray sorry george drayton uh, about what he describes as a country treat. Quote, Once you put those sweet potatoes around him, and you parboil him, and you bake him, let me tell you, you have a good eat there. So yeah, I'm gonna bake a zigzagoon with sweet potatoes. Uh, Drayton spices his raccoon with Montreal steak seasoning, Creole seasoning, and crushed red pepper, as well as a few bay leaves and two chopped white onions, uh, and then cooks it in a pressure cooker. So that sounds like some good zigzagoon. All right. Well, I took the less serious route because by the time I'd gotten to the notes, this was already in it, and I just saw that, and I was just like, this is superb. Um, just, you know, looks great, sounds great. I would obviously, I would want to buy that, um, but in terms of something different that I would choose, because I rewatched the Lord of the Rings trilogy recently, I'm on, like, I guess I'm on a kick of, like, revisiting media I haven't touched in a couple of years or so, um, but I... But I would want Samwise Gamgee to cook up a lanoon for me the way that he made that rabbit that Gollum caught. And that's it. Nice, nice, simple, good country cooking. Um, Kev, what are well, you going with? First off, I just want to know what side you'd have with that lanoon made by Samwise. <laughs> Ooh. Um, you know what? I don't want to step on your toes here because... Uh, so I'll let you say first. I'll let you go through yours and then I'll come up with a side to go with it. It wouldn't be uh, potatoes... Ooh, mash, him, mash put, him, put him in a stew. Put him in a stew. 
I was tempted. I was tempted to do a Sam. Try to do a Samwise Gamgee. Boil them, mash them, stick them in a stew. Oh. Potatoes. Oh, yeah. that I remember that from the early days of internet virality, mm -hmm. going making the rounds. Um, yeah. Gosh. Shalene into that instinct. That's what I was setting you up for. But yeah, um, mm -hmm. I was. Uh, I just want to eat a bug. <laughs> These notes get shorter <laughs> each time. I just left options to pick from. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, this doesn't come out of nowhere. Uh, one of my best birthday parties um, back when I lived in around the D.C. area, I went into the city. Uh, I saw Dawn, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. With one of, my, one of my friends could make that. The rest could only make for the restaurant afterwards. But we saw that was a great movie. And then we tried to get into a restaurant where they served bugs. as just like a fun thing, like one of the weird artsy pop-up restaurant kind of things. And we hmm. couldn't get in. Line was too long, so I went to instead to this really great tapas place where I had like I think like rabbit for the first time and oh, love rabbit. Yeah, I think duck as well. But yeah, that was fantastic. And then, but yeah, I still never had a bug. I would love to have a bug. I think that, like fried, you can fry bugs, and apparently it's very good and like nutritious. Yeah. So warm pole, yeah. yeah. Obviously, I mean, we warm pole, not like the winged ones. I mean, I've made this. I've made this comparison before, but. Eating a wormhole, no matter what it's covered in or how it's cooked, is basically like you have to think about eating it the same way you would one of those novelty gigantic gummy bears. Mm. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen those like foot tall gummy bears, but that's essentially what a wormhole is. Like, s drop that jiggly boy onto a table, and how are you going to cut it up? How are you going to season it and coat it and eat Maybe it? Maybe it's. Um, I'm not saying. I'm not saying I wouldn't join you on it. Mm. Maybe it's like that scene. At... I'm thinking like. Sorry. It's like Sorry, the scene in Emperor's New Groove where you crack it open and then slurp the guts out. <laughs> See, I'm thinking like, yeah, maybe it's something like that. But I'm also, for some reason, I'm thinking like, I feel like I've had or seen chocolate-covered ants before. Oh, no, yeah, that's like a, a delicacy. Thing. And I'm thinking like maybe some chocolate and cayenne mm. pepper might work. Or maybe like a mole type of worm bowl. Um. And maybe it is a case of like, hey, you crack open. Maybe it's like a bread bowl type of thing with the worm bowl where you crack it open, you put the mole and like the other stuff in the worm bowl itself <laughs> and cook it that way. And you get served the worm bowl as its own bowl. Um, all right, there we go. That's what I'm yeah. looking for. <laughs> I just want to address that I'm looking ahead in this Pokedex and the next few episodes, we're going to really start having trouble finding out how to eat them. Oh, no. Yeah, this is going to be interesting. So. All right, well, I'll be here for the challenge. Uh, Michael, I know you will. Kev, hopefully you will be back uh, down the line for another uh, challenging cuisine question. But yeah, he has to come and rate hot Pokemon professors with us. That's yeah, true. Talk Pokemon Snap. A lot of reasons to bring me back. Yeah. In the meantime, anything you wish to plug on your way out? Um. Yeah, I have the podcast I mentioned before, or maybe that was off mic, uh, Talking Who to You. We talk about mostly um, audio-performed spin-off Doctor Who fiction. It's not a TV show, but uh, radio plays that the cast members from the TV show do. Uh, and then, But we've been branching out. We've done episodes on talking about alien movies. We're talking about Star Trek movies soon. We're just trying to flex our wings a bit and do non-Doctor nice. Who-related topics as we run out of Doctor Who-related topics. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's um, been very good. And uh, yeah. Also, there's a someone you might know from Twitter, at least Michael may know from, her from the AV Club sphere. Rowan Kaiser has a podcast called Total Massacre, 
which I was just invited to be a rotating guest on. So oh, nice. Yeah, nice. let's listen to. I mean, I've listened to the first episode, so I'll just plug that free of charge. But also, I'll probably be on it soon. <laughs> cool. Cool. Well, looking forward to hearing you on that and all of your other projects. Yeah. All right. And Michael, where can people find you, and what have you been up to? Uh, you can find me at Future Has Been. Um, eh, I don't really feel like plugging anything right now. Fair enough. I'm in a similar state of mind. You can find me at YWHY underscore Baloo, B-A-L-L-O-O on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, and, of course, you can follow Monmen on Twitter at MonmenPod, uh, all one word. Um, but that brings us home. So, Kev, thank you once again for joining us. Always a pleasure to have you. And uh, we'll have you back again soon. Yeah, happy to be here. Uh, can't wait to be back. All right, and once again, I have been Yonato Blue. I am in the continuous state of being Michael Darling. Thanks for being here. Potatoes, potatoes.